shines bright in the Kentucky Derby. And it's American Pharaoh pulling away late. American Pharaoh rules the Derby. Welcome to week eight of the Courier Journal's Derby HQ podcast. My name is Jonathan Littner. I cover horse racing in Louisville, Kentucky for the local paper here. We use this podcast each week to reach out to some people around the country and talk about the Kentucky Derby preps coming up that weekend. Uh, three big ones this week. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you, you probably know that we've got the Wood Memorial at Aqueduct, the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland, and the Santa Anita Derby all set to go Saturday between 5 and 7 p.m., and uh, because NBC Sports Network will be broadcasting them all, I reached out, was able to get uh, Randy Moss, one of the analysts on the, the crew there, to speak with us. He has been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, he knows the ins and outs of this year's Derby contenders and offered some thoughts for, for people who hope to handicap the races this weekend. Uh, we'll also have on the show this week some highlights from the NTRA teleconference that featured Dale Romans. He has... Brody's Cause and Cherry Wine going in the Bluegrass Stakes, as well as Chad Brown, who trains My Man Sam, a Bluegrass contender, along with Shagoff, the Gotham Stakes winner, coming back in the wood, and Flexibility, who won earlier this year as well in New York. He'll, he'll be coming off a bit of a layoff to run in the wood as well. So Chad kind of touched on all of his contenders and, and includes some, some sound of him thinking about Flexibility coming off the layoff there. And then finally, I uh, had some sound from Mike Smith, who uh, is a pretty lucky guy in general, but especially these days. Uh, and in addition to mounts like Beholder, uh, he'll be aboard Dancing Candy and the Santa Anita Derby and Songbird and the Santa Anita Oaks on Saturday. So I guess without further ado, we'll go straight to our conversation with Randy. It's a featured interview this week. Thank you for listening. Pleased to have on the show this week Randy Moss, a longtime horse racing journalist and an analyst now for the NBC Sports Network and NBC. They, they of course, broadcast the Triple Crown Series, the lead-up to the Breeders' Cup, and, and then the $5 million championship at the end of every year. Uh, Randy, it's, it's good to have you. How are you doing? Hey, good, Jonathan. Uh, Looking forward to it. Obviously, a big weekend for the Kentucky Derby Prep Series and, and a big weekend for NBC Sports. You guys will be broadcasting the Wood, the Santa Anita Derby, and, and the Bluegrass Stakes at, at Keeneland, which is, is obviously pretty close to us. Um, you know, As you get to this time of year, every year, uh, I mean, what, what's the feeling from you, and, and what do you think in general of this three-year-old crop and the Kentucky Derby scene? Well, we haven't had a horse racing telecast on NBC since the Breeders' Cup, so Jerry Bailey and I have cabin fever as far as uh, horse racing goes. We've we've been uh, trading a lot of texts and emails, and uh, we, we really do our best to to keep up with all the ins and outs of the three year olds, uh, even back you know January, February, March. Uh, and we're we're real excited, obviously, about uh, about this particular show because it, it Nyquist showed in the Florida Derby that he is. A, uh, a worthy, legitimate favorite, but he's not such an overwhelming favorite in our estimation that uh, something can't jump up here in one of these three big prep races or the next week in the Arkansas Derby and uh, and really make it interesting. And I guess before we get into those three races specifically, and, and maybe the answer has to do with one of, a horse in one of those fields, you know, who other than Nyquist are you looking at right now to be a top contender in the Kentucky Derby? 
Oh, there's a there's a whole host of them uh, behind Nyquist, and yeah, you know, nowadays the, the sport of thoroughbred racing has changed so much in the way horses are prepared for the Triple Crown that these prep races are more important than ever before. Part of it has to do with the point system to get into the to, to get into the Kentucky Derby, and uh, in an era in which Every year, there is more than 20 uh, horses that enter. That's just a foregone conclusion, so the points will come into play. And secondly, horses are more inexperienced. They're run less often leading up to the Kentucky Derby than ever before. So you really, you know, the the horses are still learning. (laughs) And we as horse players and as racing fans don't get a chance to see enough of these horses to really get uh, an ironclad line on their strengths and weaknesses. We're learning about them as we go along. Even their trainers and jockeys are learning valuable things about these horses uh, in their final prep before the Kentucky Derby. So it it, it really accentuates uh, the importance of these final preps. Can you take me through, you know, from an NBC perspective, what you guys will try to convey in the show on Saturday? I mean, people talk so much about these races as being preps, but then you step back and look at it. They're all grade one. They're all worth a million dollars. I, you know, I, I feel like the prep, uh, you know, kind of distinguishing them. It sometimes undermines the races quality themselves. I mean, how do you guys balance that, that sort of thing? Well, obviously, uh, winning the Santa Anita Derby is, uh, or the Wood Memorial, or the Bluegrass Stakes, is a is a pretty important component to any horse's resume. So, uh, but I mean, even their even their uh, their owners and trainers and jockeys will tell you that while they want to win those races because of their prestige, because of the money, quite frankly, uh, they look upon these races as a means to an end. Uh, they they would much rather have a uh, competitive but not gut-wrenching third-place finish, let's say, in the bluegrass, if it means that they have a better shot of winning the Kentucky Derby. So we'll be looking at all three of these races, not only as, uh, as entities all, all you know, unto themselves, but for what it tells us about the horses uh, playing it forward uh, to – to the Kentucky Derby, because that's really, uh, you know, that's the interest, the primary interest of, of the people watching is, you know, try, trying to see, uh, you know, who's going to be their Derby horse. And, and kind of to dive into the races a little bit, I mean, looking at the post times, it looks like the wood at uh, 530 will probably be the first of those three on the show. Uh, you know, they got a field of eight. Shagoff drew the, the one hole outworks in the eight uh between them you have some horses like adventist flexibility matt king cole coming back from an impressive allowance what do you make of this field well when i mention how inexperienced horses tend to be nowadays and how important these final prep races are uh the wood memorial and this winter in the racing at aqueduct among the three-year-olds is an absolutely perfect example uh there's a pretty good possibility and as a matter of fact i think it's truth that the two best three-year-olds that we've seen this winter at Aqueduct are Matt King Cole, who won an allowance race, uh, and my man Sam, who finished second behind Matt King Cole. 
that allowance race was the single most impressive race for three-year-olds at the Aqueduct Winter Meeting. And yet Matt King Cole and my man Sam have only had three lifetime starts apiece. They've never been in a stakes race. They have zero Kentucky Derby points. <laughs> so, and you know, Matt King Cole goes in the wood, uh, the likely pace setter, uh, very fast horse, very talented. And my man Sam uh, splits off, and uh, while Chad Brown has flexibility going in the Wood Memorial, my man Sam will go in the bluegrass where he's drawn post 14 out of 14 starters, which is certainly a big disadvantage. Yeah, so, I mean, bo- both those horses are in a position where they pretty much have to have one, two finishes in those prep races uh, to, to have a chance to move on. But I think Matt King Cole is the horse to beat in the Wood Memorial. Uh, I'll have to really get down to the uh, to the pace component to see if I think there's there's anybody in the field that's fast enough to run with him. But I wasn't particularly blown away by the strength of the Gotham. Uh, Shagoff won it, uh, and he looks like a promising horse who should have no problem getting a mile and a quarter. But I just don't know what the upper limits of his ability is. I, I kind of worry that um, he might not be quite fast enough. You mentioned going back to that allowance race. I believe it was run yeah. the day after the Gotham. and yes. The same distance. I think the final time was a second faster. There are there a lot of people who point to the surface the day of the Gotham. and There was a rail bias. I know the the mm-hmm. maiden Laban or, or Laoban, I'm not sure exactly how they pronounce it. You know, He ran up the rail and had an impressive performance. He's going back in the bluegrass. I mean, do you, when you look at Chagoff's figure from that day, obviously the speed figure was not very strong. You feel like there's any chance that, that maybe that was just the track getting to him a little bit? Well, he ran on the rail for a pretty sizable portion of that race as well. So, um, I mean, he did, he did, uh, learn a lot, I think in the Gotham because he was, uh, pocketed for a while. He got dirt kicked in his face. It was a learning experience for an inexperienced horse. And from that standpoint, you'd have to think that uh, that having the Gotham under his belt was a plus for him. But once he once he got out um, and tried to run down Leoban, who was advantaged by the rail, I, I just he just didn't blow me away. I, I expected to see more, uh, quite frankly, from Shigoff, you know, even though he won the Gotham, uh, than we actually did, especially from a time perspective. As far as the way the track was the day of the Gotham. I normally I I fall into the camp that I've been a handicapper for geez, 40 years that track biases are usually greatly overstated. There are some people, a lot of pretty prominent handicappers, actually, that sort of see a track bias lurking around every corner. And, for example, they talked about the Risen Star at the fairgrounds. And, and it was almost taken for granted by a lot of the uh, some of the prominent handicappers out there that there was a big rail bias favoring horses on the inside of the Risen Star Day. I don't think there was. You go back and look at those races, and they were all very logical. The horses that won those races uh, figured to win those races in most cases. But Gotham Day was an exception. Gotham Day, there was a very strong rail bias, a 50-to-1 shot one hugging the rail all the way around. So that really helped a horse like Laoban, and uh, I, I think for that reason, most people are discrediting Laoban when he comes back now in the Bluegrass. 
Mm-hmm. And, and sort of moving on to the bluegrass and looking at that field, uh, 14 horses, um, Zulu, the, the five to two morning line favorite from the four hole. He puts on blinkers for this race and Brody's cause comes back from a pretty disappointing effort in the Tampa Bay Derby, but he's a horse that, you know, also didn't look good in his debut and, and, you know, turn it around and won next time out. Uh, you just wanted to get your thoughts maybe on those two horses, uh, you know, put together i mean do you feel like that you know they're the ones to watch is there is there any other horse in the field that, that you'll have an eye on there uh, you know obviously mentioned my man sam earlier yeah well i honestly i happen to think my man sam's the horse to beat if he doesn't get uh, if he doesn't get strung you know really wide going into the first turn from that 14 post position he's a horse that does come from well behind so that's going to help him when he navigates that 14 hole because he'll drop back in the pack and there won't be quite as much traffic back there uh, Zulu is an interesting horse uh, simply because, uh, you know, he finished second to Mohamed, but I think we saw on the Florida Derby that, uh, that perhaps the fountain of youth, the Holy bull, those races, uh, this winter at Gulfstream, you know, might not have been as strong as they were cracked up to be. So I think the jury, uh, is definitely still out on Zulu. I don't know what happened to Brody's cause at Tampa Bay. Um, the pace wasn't exceptionally fast at all in the Tampa Bay Derby, and yet Brody's cause was way out the back end, and all the other horses made a move before he could even get going. And this is a horse who finished third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, a horse that I thought might have a really promising future, uh, a horse that by all accounts was training well, according to Dale Romans, who says he's trained even better coming out of that race. But he is going to have to run a whole heck of a lot better. The one thing that he does have in his favor the best race that Brody's cause has ever run in his life, in my estimation, was at Keeneland last fall in the Breeders' Futurity. I mean, there is a such thing as horses for courses, and uh, you know that uh, that he's going to take to the Keeneland track, and he's got that in his corner. Yeah, and, and one more horse in that field that I guess it has gotten some, some press this week is Donegal Moon. He's 5-1 to one on the morning line from the two-hole. He's a Pletcher horse, and uh, he, he was one that we saw on the New York circuit did not yeah. run that well at Aqueduct. I think shipped over to Parks and won an allowance by you know open lengths. It, w- it was something like ten lengths. Uh, you know, coming off that effort, I-, I don't know if you've seen that race or you know, do you have yeah. a thought on that horse? Yeah, I've seen the race. I went back and watched it. A thirteen length one at Parks and an allowance race. Um, and when you watch the race, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, the Donegal Moon was visually very impressive, but. It's also true that the competition he was facing that day was much, much weaker than the competition he'd been facing and the competition that he's going to run against on Saturday. So I would uh, tend to view that effort with uh, a bit of skepticism. And uh, now looking at the Santa Anita Derby, um, like we said earlier, Field of Ten, um, Exaggerator in the two-hole, Dancing Candy three, More Spirit four. Uh, one, one horse I wanted to start with, uh, your thoughts on Smoky Image. It was one that, that people really built up going into the San Felipe, and uh, he, he didn't he didn't look very good that day. I mean, it looked like he, he was done going into the turn. I mean, you think that was uh, – do you write a line through that, or do you think that, that speaks to the quality of this horse? I think that – pretty much uh, exposed Smoky Image. I, I know a lot of people, uh, when they saw Smoky Image winning all those cowbred races by open lengths and runaway victories, sort of harkened back to California Chrome, and they were hoping that Smoky Image would be the next California Chrome. But in reality, when you look at Chrome's races 
and you analyze those by the clock and you analyze them visually and then you look at smoky images races they're not really that comparable so i i think smoky image is a cut below uh the open company horses at santa Anita, and i don't and i think that's why he ran so poorly last time mm-hmm. I, I read a column this week by gary west the the, the clocker out there he, he called dancing candies san felipe the best two-turn race by a three-year-old so far this year do you necessarily yep. agree with that i agree i agree but the uh, the issue with Danzing Candy is that as talented as he is, he has never faced a situation yet in his brief career where he's been outrun to the early lead. He's been able to control the pace in all his victories. And even though he ran fast last time in the San Felipe, I mean, it's not like he was, you know, given an easy early lead. I mean, he ran fast to get the lead. But a lot of horses like... Uh, you see it every day in handicapping. They get big hearts when they're on the lead and they're unchallenged. They're out there and they think all's right with the world. This is going great. They relax. They get really confident. And especially young horses who have never really had to experience anything other than that before, they can get thrown for a loop when, for the very first time especially, they get in a race where someone outruns them to the lead and it's something that they've really never had to encounter in in a race situation before, sometimes in training, but not in an actual race in the afternoon. And in the Santa Anita Derby, there are a couple of horses, Iron Rob, who is a very fast sprinter, uh, trying now to stretch out to a mile and an eight. Uh, there's Denman's Call, who's got the post, uh, post one to the inside of Danzing Candy, so they'll probably have to try to use his speed you know, there's a pretty good possibility that Danzing Candy is going to be uh, really going to be confronted with a pace challenge, and it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. Does that make you favor more spirit, or, or do you feel like an, another one of those pace-setting kind of horses can can get up and win this race? Do you have a, a gut feeling on how, how you might handicap that field? Yeah, I think it comes down to more spirit and exaggerator. Um, I'm, I've, I've been a big fan of exaggerator uh, from – from last fall, I, I thought he ran exceptionally well in the San Vicente at seven furlongs against Nyquist. Uh, but there is a concern about Exaggerator about how far he wants to run. Even his trainer, Keith DeSormo, has some concerns that he might really be a, uh, a miler or a one-turn horse at heart. Because last fall, at Keeneland, when he ran against Brody's Cause and the Breeders' Futurity, Exaggerator looked like a winner, uh, had the lead in mid-stretch, and then just couldn't finish. Against Nyquist, he looked like a winner at the top of the stretch. Of course, he was running against what might be the best three-year-old in the country, but he couldn't seal the deal. And then last time, in the San Felipe, he was way back early, made a gigantic move through traffic, uh, looked like he was poised uh, to just take off and run down Danzig Candy. And then he came up empty again in the last eighth of a mile. So that's the big concern about Exaggerator. More spirit trained by Bob Baffert has no such concerns. He's he's a horse that's going to get better as the distances go on. The only real issue with more spirit seems to be that he's not one of these horses uh, with push-button acceleration. He's a grinder-type horse. He just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. He's not going to... He's not going to blow you away with any electrifying move on the turn or burst through between horses. He's just, 
he's just the kind of horse that uh, that makes steady, but uh, but sometimes in an impressive progression as the race goes on. And he's also the kind of horse that last time in San Felipe, it looked as if it took him a little while to get his act back together again when he had some early traffic trouble. He's kind of a big horse, and sometimes those horses don't bounce back uh, very quickly, very handily when they encounter traffic trouble. And and so that's uh, that's something that we'll be watching as we go forward with more spirit as well. But there's no doubt that he's talented, and the distance is not going to be a problem. And the race, if the pace uh, is as fast as it looks like it might be on paper, then that's going to really help his chances too. I think he's the horse to beat. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned kind of getting his race together there. Gary Stevens is his jockey talked a lot about saying he felt like that was a big learning experience for that horse. And, and yeah. I guess be- before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about Baffert's other horse, uh, Cupid, that, that won the Rebel Stakes and is going to go in the Arkansas Derby. I mean, kind of speaking of a horse that looks like he's learning a lot, I know he had his, his trouble, you know, dipping against the rail in the, in the stretch of the Rebel, but uh, I saw a workout video of him from earlier today. You know, people are, are you know, starting to hype him up now. If you, you know, if you like more spirit that much, I mean, where, where are you right now on Cupid? Uh, he's a horse that's got a lot of potential. He, the, the, uh, it, it really, it's going to be very interesting to see how he runs in the Arkansas Derby. Um, when he won the allowance race at Santa Anita leading up to the Arkansas Derby, or excuse me, leading up to the Rebel Stakes, he came from a little bit off the pace, had a wide trip, showed that he didn't have to be in front, uh, and won very impressively from slightly off the pace. In the Arkansas Derby, he had more of an inside draw, the strategy was to, uh, to just go on with it early. Didn't break very well at all. Had to be sent to the early lead, veered out at the top of the stretch, and still finished uh, well to win against probably an underrated field. Uh, Whitmore is a pretty nice horse. Sudden Breaking News is a nice horse. They could easily be in someone's top 12 Kentucky Derby contenders. Uh, so Cupid will be the favorite in the Arkansas Derby. He's shown that he can do it on the lead or do it from behind. And he's very inexperienced, so you know, we still don't know exactly how good he is. He'll also pick up a lot of weight uh, in the Rebel, but Baffert's got a pretty strong hand right now, I'll tell you that, between more spirit and Cupid. Mm-hmm. Well, Randy, I-, I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Uh, you know, Like we said, NBC Sports will be carrying the races from 5 to 7 p.m. on Saturday. I'm sure we'll all be watching. I, I appreciate you offering your insight. Sure, Jonathan. Take care. Now moving on to some highlights of this week's NTRA teleconference. Like I said earlier, Dale Romans, he has Brody's Cause and Cherry Wine going on the Bluegrass Stakes this weekend at Keeneland. Uh, He was asked to compare the two, of course Brody's Cause being a grade one winner, Cherry Wine having won an allowance earlier this year at Gulfstream Park. Brody's a lot more accomplished. I mean, he's a, like I told you earlier, he's a prototype derby horse and he does every, you know, he's already won a grade one, he's already got enough points, I think, to look at him in, and he loves uh, Keeneland, he's already proven that. So it's a no-brainer where he needs to pr- make his last prep. And Cherry Wine is a horse that's just really rounding into form. He had two great races uh, back-to-back, his maiden win and his Gulfstream allowance. And then the, the Rebel Day was sneaky good. Anybody, everybody should go back and watch it if you if you you don't aren't confident enough in him and see how well he actually ran in a 14-horse field from the 13-hole. Got bumped around, split horses, was running at the end, galloped out strong. So Either they're, they're a little bit different, but the running styles are basically the same. 
Chad Brown, known mostly for training turf stars, has a pair of pretty heavy dirt contenders in Saturday's Wood Memorial at Aqueduct. Of course, there's Shagoff, the morning line favorite, coming out of the Gotham Stakes with a win, but also Flexibility, who, going back to last year, ran second to Mohamen twice over this track, and then also came back to win the Jerome Stakes on January 2nd. Uh, they, they ran him one more time in the Withers on January 30th, but he finished fourth that day and has been off since then. And Chad was asked this week on the NTRA teleconference about that layoff. That, that horse, we always planned on giving him that break that you see uh, in between the Withers and the Wood. It was always the plan. Um, when, we, when we committed to leaving the horse in the New York division for the winter, those are all the races that we targeted with that horse. Unfortunately, it looks like the Withers was just one race too many uh, with not enough spacing where the horse reacted a bit and needed a little bit of time. Um, even if he had won that race, he was still going to have the same break um, and use the wood as um, his first race off a mini break and hopefully get into the Derby with the Derby a second race off a short layoff. Do you see signs that he is rebounding? I do. His energy level is terrific. I thought enough of him this last week to put him in company with Chagas, uh, albeit it was just a maintenance drill. But he stayed against Chagas in hand. Um, they look like mirror images going by. Um, so I, I have to say that's a, a great sign that the horse is, uh, is fully rebounded and his, his energy level is terrific. He'll have his work cut out for him. Uh, both horses will because the wood will be both their toughest races to date. But I'm real happy with the way flexibility is coming into the race. Mike Smith, who will be on Unbeaten Songbird in the Santa Anita Oaks, as well as Dancing Candy in the Santa Anita Derby, has a couple of horses that look to the eye like they have a similar front-running style. Uh, Mike said this week that whereas Songbird takes him to the lead, he sort of takes Dancing Candy to the lead, it, you know, rushes him a bit out of the gate. But uh, it figures both can rate a little bit and, and kind of reflected on how they're prepared in the morning to, to back that up. Yeah, we do it in, in the mornings quite a bit, actually. Uh, most of the time when they do work with the company, uh, every time it's, it's usually starting out about four to five to six to seven links behind uh, behind their company, uh, which we've done with, with both, and, they, and it's, it's pretty much the same outcome. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not that they, they um, you know, they need to lead. You know, I've been waiting how long uh, for, for someone to get in front of Songbird, to be honest with you, but she's just, you know, I help her out of there just a little bit, and she's just got that natural high cruising speed that it puts her where it puts her, and that's where she's comfortable. I and mean, if someone wanted to go faster than that, they could certainly go, go in front of her. I don't think she would, she would mind it. And, and say, try and say, I would like to say the same about Dancing Candy, although the difference between the two is, is I've been putting Dancing Candy on the lead Whereas Songbird's just been, she's just been taking me there. Uh, now, in saying that, depending on where we draw with Danzy Candia, if someone was, was, you know, that high on being in front, I don't, I don't think it'd be a problem. Right. And I'm looking at both of their PPs. Uh, it's safe to assume you haven't uh, nearly gotten to the bottom of either one of them. Yeah, well, I would say the last time that Danzig run, I... I, I I rode him for a little ways just to get him on my I certainly didn't want to be idling at the eighth pole or something, you know, waiting for more spirit to come running because he's got such a powerful late kick that I wanted to get him, you know, really get him going forward before I, before I, you know, put my hands down. And I would say the last hundred yards, uh, I pretty much felt that I had the, the race under control and was able to, you know, to give him a little breather the last part of it. 
Mm -hmm. And lastly, uh, is there any doubt in your mind that Songbird could beat the boys? Um, well, I, I, you just don't ever know until you do it. But uh, I haven't. I, mean, I, I, I don't. I don't think she'd have a problem with it. To be honest with you. Mm -hmm. 